0: we mm-hmm. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 138 of X-Last, where I'm dealing with some allergies here, uh, so I'm hoping that I don't sound too stuffy or too snorty, and I hope I don't make any disgusting noises that uh, hinder your enjoyment or not gagging through the, uh, the program today. Uh, it's... It's really bad this time of year. I apologize if, uh, if that's apparent. I'm going to hope that it's not, but I uh, figure I might as well address it before I just start going into it. Now today, we are still in the reign of X, of course. This is our second issue into the new direction, or the... I don't know if we call it a new direction, but the next evolution of the Hickman uh, run, I suppose... And today we're talking about X Factor, Volume Four, Number Five, which had a February 2021 cover date, and I can't believe it. It's an issue of X Factor, current year X Factor, and I'm actually kind of excited to uh, to check it out. Huh? How about that? Then, of course, we see the title of the story, which uh, fills me with cringe. Uh, the story is called "Sweet Number Five, First Movement Finale After a Summer of Allostatic Overload." Really. Okay, uh, Written by Leia Williams With art by David Baldion, Colors Israel Silva Letters VCs Joe Magna, Designs Tom Muller Head of X's Hickman Edits Biesel white Cover price $3.99 And this one went on sale December 2nd of 2020 Now we pick up right near where we left off two issues ago Because this book was swept into the X of Tens event Just like everything else and here we see X-Factor delivering proof of death for the Academy X-era New Mutant, Wind Dancer. Now, if you recall, she was the whole reason that we spent what felt like 15 issues in Mojo World. Uh, and so, uh, we go into the story here. We're on the set of Adam X's Hot Seat, a popular streaming program on Mojo World's Headshot TV. And I, uh, I wonder how this will affect what's going to be revealed about him in the new X-Men Legends series. Huh, I, I haven't read it yet, hasn't been delivered to my house yet, so I uh, I don't know anything about it just yet. I've been avoiding spoilers, even though it's uh, pretty apparent what's going to be revealed there. Uh, anyway, Adam is offering Windancer the opportunity to, uh, well, get out of there without dying. Now you see, the fans of Headshot TV had voted for Sophia to be shot to death live on the air. But with some magic editing, Adam can make it look as though she was... Without actually going through with it Sophia is steadfast That she actually does want to go through with it And so, she does Bada bing, bada boom Shot in the head, she is dead Northstar presents this footage to the five And they agree that, uh, yep Wind is dead Now we find out that all the non-Lorna members of X-Factor Were not yet privy to all the goings down During the Festival of Swords So they were unaware that the resurrection protocols had been suspended. Nor did they know that Rockslide came back all scrambled. Now, Hope suggests that X-Factor might be of assistance when it comes to determining whether or not it's safe to begin resurrecting again. From here, we get our roll call and cred spread. Remember, this is Reign of X, so we don't need three pages for this anymore. We just need two. So our roll call is Egg, Elixir, Hope, Tempus, Proteus, Northstar, Prodigy, Prestige, Eyeboy, Polaris, Dakin, Dakin, Aurora with the Roll eyes, and Rockslide. Back to comics and over to the hatchery. It's the next day, and we pop in on a chat between Elixir and Prodigy, who themselves are Academy X-era mutants. And they were uh, Sophia's teammates back in the long ago... Which made me stop to think, um, I can't believe that these characters have already been in these books for about 20 years now. Just, just shy of it. Where the hell did my life go? Jeez. Uh, From here we jump over to the rest of X-Factor. Now, Rachel attempts to use her chrono-skimming powers on Rockslide. Which is to say, she's digging around in his memories to find out a bit more about him, and hopefully attempt to undo some of the problematic resurrection scrambling. And so, that's what she does. Only it's not too long a trip You see, Rockslide's entire story starts with his very recent resurrection Now the whiplash from the revelation causes Rachel to be sent flying and slamming into a wall It's like she was in position and stopped short and just went flying Rachel concludes that the fella is basically a newborn to which Boy rushes in to hug him and wish him a happy birthday, which makes me want to poke out each and every eye on his body. Now, we'll talk a bit about this wonky rock slide in a bit, but this sort of kind of contradicts the original Otherworld Resurrection Theory and uh, what, what Professor X had said uh, back in X-Factor number 4, uh, part 2 of X of Tens. But we'll talk about that later. Now, as we're ready to have Sophia pop out of her egg, we see Proteus and Hope looking down into another area of the hatchery. There's a woman there, and we'll find out who in just a moment, but she's been lingering, but will not attend this unhatching, And so they decide to begin without her. Bada-bing, Sophia pops out of her egg and immediately sets to soaring through the skies. And we're told that this is how many of the formerly flying mutants celebrate their rebirths. By flying, taken to the skies This was seen when uh, Icarus and, uh, what's-her-face, Arrow came back The uh, Guthrie kids And we actually saw Arrow's rebirthening after the events of the Crucible in X-Men number 7 Which feels like something we read like a hundred years ago But uh, we're actually going to talk a bit more about the Crucible today So uh, hold that thought Now we find out that Sophia had been depowered before she died So this is kind of a double rebirth for her And heck, uh, may just be the reason she agreed to have her brains blown out for the entertainment of the Mojo World masses. Huh. Hmm. We'll talk about that in a bit. Now, we see that Sophia's return was witnessed by a whole bunch of Academy X-era kids, many of whom I could have sworn have died maybe twice. Uh, Though, I mean, (laughs) look at what we're reading. That's not a big deal anymore. We see Hellion, Surge, Pixie, Indra, Mercury, Loa, Tag, Dust, Icarus, Anol, and, uh, a blonde girl. I don't know who she is, though. Maybe Wallflower? I don't know. Anyway, Sophia chats up her pals, and we learn some stuff. You see, she found out about the Crucible while in Mojo World. Which... I didn't know that was something that anyone who didn't live in Kurokoa would, uh, would know, uh, Seems like something the mutants wouldn't want uh, getting out, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it's barbaric, and it's basically assisted ritual suicide. So, uh, I figure there's probably got to be a hashtag against that sort of thing out there, right? You don't think Krakoa wants people knowing, but Sophia knew. Now, she also informs her pals that Adam X, Spiral, and Shatterstar all tried to help her leave Mojo World, but for whatever reason, well, for a reason we can theorize about, (laughs) Uh, she didn't leave I think what we're left to assume here Is that Sophia wanted to die As a means of getting her powers back upon resurrection Now she even goes as far as to suggest That any and all of her repowered pals did the very same And she asks Prodigy if he went through the Crucible To get his powers back But he says he did not And more on that in just a little bit But first, you remember uh, that woman who refused to attend From a few minutes ago? Well, that was Emma Frost And here, she's being chatted up by Danny Moonstar Now you see, Emma is still down in the dumps Over the death and botched resurrection of Rockslide Now, one of Emma's gimmicks is guilt over the loss of her students And this goes all the way back to when uh, Trevor Fitzroy Wiped out her original Hellions Way back in Uncanny 281, back in uh, 1991 Now Danny talks her up a bit And tells her that she only feels so bad because she's a caring person and, well, that's good enough for Emma, at least for now. And the two head off to the Green Lagoon, which I nearly called the Regal Beagle, for some drinks. And, uh, this makes me wonder if the X-Men are ever gonna, like, demand any sort of reparations from Saturnine over the death of Rockslide here, because they wouldn't have been there without Saturnine's, uh, you know, the stuff she was doing. From here, we shift over to Polaris and Dak and Dakin, having a somewhat playful chat. Now this chat is observed by, old roll eyes herself, Aurora. and It seems she doesn't like what she sees, and so she whooshes away. Which makes me think that, you know, high school's pretty heavy, isn't it? Yeah. From here, an info page, and it's a schematic on the Boneyard. And it's a real throwback to those extra pages Marvel would toss into their annuals every now and again to give us, like, a cross-section look into, like, the Baxter Building, or the Four Freedoms Plaza, or Avengers Mansion, or the X-Mansion. A lot of fun stuff. I really uh, I really dig this kind of info page. If we're going to get info pages, this is the kind we should get. So, let's have a look here. Now, this place is topped by a flying deck. Then we've got Northstar and Northstar's husband's penthouse. Um, to which, I mean, Northstar's, Northstar's husband isn't a mutant, right? Hmm, so how come Xavier wouldn't let his own stepbrother come to Krakoa? That seems like a jerk move, doesn't it? Hmm. Then Polaris, Prodigy, and I Boy, they have permanent uh, residencies there. Below that, we have guest quarters, but now they're acting as Dakin, Dakin, and Aurora's rooms. Uh, it's pretty interesting. They're not full fledged uh, members, it seems. Then we have a leisure area, including a living room and kitchen, a hanging gardens. Uh, the mid level is purely for X Factor activity, so we got a meeting room, a lab, some offices, and servers. Then a theater. Okay, uh, then at the bottom we have a reception area uh, Rachel, and amazing baby, evidently live in the basement And uh, then below that, there are some caves in the down below Then we turn the page and get to see a montage of all the stuff that's currently going down in the Boneyard And it's pretty effective here We see like the whole place with just little Little, uh, not, not so much a cross section But like panels that are taking place in certain areas Because it's like a full page of the Boneyard, but with panels Strategically placed to show what's happening in each section It's, when paired with that info page It's uh, very, very effective and very well done Now, one thing we learn among the, uh, the hubbub here Is that uh, Gorgon, our friend Gorgon Who passed not too long ago He's already been resurrected And since it was an Otherworld resurrection He's acting strangely And uh, I wonder where that'll be followed up on Probably, probably in the pages of Wolverine, I'd imagine But I've been wrong before we then sit in on a chat between the five and North Star, where they share some more of the recent goings on. The Hellions, as we saw, were all resurrected, and those who had died in Amenth—they were brought back sharpened, as though they were whetted blades. Which adds a little bit of context as to why last episode's issue of Hellions was titled "Whetstone." Huh. I didn't think of that. Interestingly, North Star suggests that this revelation may be not be shared too widely and freely and maybe maybe not even with the Quiet Council. This I like because now if they do know, the Council knows that mutants who die in a month will come back sharper. Well, that might be something they try to exploit. And heck on that very same thought, if any mutants knew that if they died in a month that they came back sharper, well, We could run into some pretty dicey situations And I'm really glad that Northstar raised this concern And I'm also glad that it wasn't relegated to just fodder on an info page This is actually some good stuff here, I like it a lot Now as we tour the rest of the facility We see a bunch of the young mutants being young mutants and having a good time Uh, We even get a cameo from the mutant kid DJ Who has music-based powers I don't think we've seen him in a hundred years uh, also, Prodigy and Windancer talk a little bit more about the Crucible. Now, Windancer still assumes that Prodigy went through the thing in order to get his powers back, but uh, Prodigy stands firm here. He did not. Uh, he actually thinks he was murdered. So, uh, not not much more is said on that. But I'm guessing this uh, will probably be followed up on before long. Later, we follow Aurora into Dakin Dakin's quarters, where he is uh, <clears throat> working on his etchings. Which sounds like I'm being sarcastic and making fun of him for being rather precious But that's actually what he's doing, he's working on his etchings Uh, He tells her that he wasn't flirting with Polaris earlier Which briefly makes Aurora stop rolling her eyes And uh, it seems like we're inching ever closer to these two knocking boots If in fact they don't do it while we read this info page Now this this info page is a weird anonymous letter, an email to X-Factor And it's long, doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense and I'm guessing whichever subplot this leads to will be fleshed out soon enough. But I mean, this is a book that this is a book that can use info pages this way because their whole thing, you know, we had those little bubbles in the sky what are, that are new cases for X Factor here. We could dedicate an info page to that information, and that, I'm okay with that. Here, this is a more effective use of a kind of tired gimmick in the info pages. Back to comics, and we join Aurora and Northstar atop the Boneyard Now, it's been a long time since I've read Alpha Flight um, But I, I'm guessing that it used to be that the Beaubiers uh, had to touch in order for their powers to activate That had been changed by Sasquatch It's been changed back It's been changed forth It's been changed back And it looks like right now it's been changed back post-Aurora's uh, Resurrection And so, they take each other by the hand And they produce a beautiful Northern Lights show Rockslide sees this and actually comments that it is, in fact, beautiful. Which, I want to say, is probably the first thing he's managed to say that wasn't just repeating something he was told since he came back all scrambled. Then, off in the distance, Aurora and Northstar hear a scream. And so they rush over to see what's going on, and they find the body of Siren, who looks like she fell to her death despite having the ability to fly. Uh Uh-oh. Well that's where we leave it for this issue of X-Factor. Next episode. Oh boy, get your Twitter blockchains updated and ready because it's time for Sword. But how about we talk about this issue? I really liked it. I really liked this issue mostly because it felt more character focused and less like hey young people watch these young people do young people things while talking like young people, you know? <laughs> it wasn't like that so much. Sure, I mean, there were instances of that, but it was more focused on characters and building, uh, really laying foundation. I don't want to say world building, since this is part of a shared world here, but they are building for this series, and they're, making the, they're giving this series a reason to exist, and, and it's, it's coming around. It's coming around. Um, it's a great, like, you know, back-to-your-regularly-scheduled-programming sort of issue. You know, we get to check in on the status quo, We get some downtime, which is always fun with the X-Men We get to see characters interact We got to see the Academy X kids all kind of have their little high school reunion sort of situation And we also seeded a whole bunch of potential subplots for upcoming storylines All in all, in a way, this is a real throwback to the way comics used to be And ought to be told, right? Um, I'm pleased with it I'm pleased with it Let's talk about a few takeaways here, um, Rock Slide being a newborn. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the, the, the Scrambled Resurrections yet, we just have theories that we've been told by the Professor and maybe the Five have chimed in. But when Rockslide was brought back, it was theorized on panel that the Otherworld Resurrections would be basically a scrambled amalgamation of a bunch of alternate versions of said character. Now, since Otherworld is sort of like a nexus point of realities, it stands to reason that that might be the case. Here, though, it's not that at all. It's it's as though he is not a- any other version. He's just a brand spanking new, you know, tabula rasa, blank slate version of himself. And uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, and it really makes me curious how they're going to handle Gorgon's return since they said that he's acting weird, but they don't say he's acting just like Rockslide is. So maybe um, the Otherworld deaths are more just unpredictable than anything. And uh, I- I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that so long as we, we get some explanations here. Um, now Let's talk about one of my favorite subjects since we started this, the Crucible. First, how did Sophia know? Right. Um, I wonder if this is an indication that Mojo has ears everywhere. Right, because we know for a fact that he had a mole inside of uh, inside Saturnine's, uh, you know, handlers. Right, someone was reporting to him that there was a contest of swords going on. So stands to reason that perhaps he has uh, he has a mole on Krakoa somewhere. And I tell you, that's almost enough to get me interested in a Mojo story because that could just be very interesting to learn all about. And I know we know we're not done in Mojo world because Shatterstar is still there, and uh, Lorna said they'll try to get him back. So I know there is business to attend to there. But I feel like if if Mojo does have uh, some sort of a way of getting information from Krakoa, I, I think that makes him a much more effective. And a much more interesting um, foe or antagonist for this era of uh, X Men comics, so that could be really cool. Uh, let's talk about the Crucible and Sophia suggesting that maybe prodigy went through it. I feel like she really showed her hand there. Um, she didn't want to leave uh, the you know the Adam X hot seat or whatever the hell show that was until she was shot in the head. Um, Because she knew from knowing what the Crucible was That if you die without powers, you could be brought back with powers So this feels like it was, you know, suicide by reality show And it's funny how, like, she just assumes that everyone else would do that I will concede that it's been a long time since I read that Academy X stuff So I don't know how bummed out she was when she lost her powers. I know a lot of the mutants who lost their powers were extremely bummed out. I don't know that Sophia stood out uh, above and beyond any of the others. But I feel like we're building this character now. I feel like we're building bits and pieces to show that she defined herself from, you know, her ability to fly. And whatever secondary powers she may have had, I couldn't tell you from the the top of my head. But, uh... I really like this I like the fact that Anytime the Crucible comes up I'm going to be interested In in discussing that Because it's a very heavy subject And I'm almost disappointed That we haven't gone back to it As often as I think we we should Because Like I said It's a heavy subject And it does Deserve a lot of analysis And discussion And I tell you I was just happy to see The word on the page again So that was uh, That was really cool Um now, Adam X, uh, we see Adam X here, and he is, of course, I mean, he is the funny ha-ha character. He's the oh, OMG how 90s character and all that tired stuff here. Um, I do wonder, because the X-Men Legends book, as far as I know, is not a not a Hickman book, right? Um, so I don't know if it'll be something that we cover as a regular episode of the show. It might be a special that we do if we decide to do it. Um, I will have to leave that to those of you who have already read it To let me know if this is something that does fit into the current uh, stories uh, And if it does, I, I will absolutely cover it I've got no problem dedicating episodes to any any books that, uh, that you all feel are pertinent to the, uh, to the arc here So you guys got to let me know that um, I mentioned it was cool seeing the Academy X kids. It's been a long time. Um, I feel like they are kind of the lost generation of uh, of young mutants, and I mean they kind of deserve to be because I mean Marvel was just flooding us with these new mutants and telling us to care about them, and it was uh, it was a, it's a tough sell even in the best of times, right? I mean they gave us the New Mutants. This is way before my time, but uh, I think people just accepted them because they there weren't millions of mutants running around. Uh, Generation X was my young mutants team, and the way they gave them to us, they, they kind of uh, peppered them through that Phalanx Covenant story. We had a we had a familiar point-of-view character in Jubilee. Um, it felt like a an evolution of of Jubilee's story in the main X-Men book here. And so it was it, it felt organic right the Academy X book that was all a result of like the big mutant population boom and uh, Morrison turning the mansion into uh, I, the <laughs> the comparison I've heard from several people was that uh, the X mansion turned into uh, whatever school Harry Potter went to <laughs> where where uh, it's just all these characters here and all these powered characters I suppose and the Academy X kids were part of that where. I mean, there were just so many new mutants being being introduced. And it was kind of hard to... It was kind of hard to, like, focus on... They broke the teams into squads. They broke all these new mutants into squads. So we had, you know, the Academy X team. I don't remember what they were called. But uh, that was where you'd had, like, Prodigy and Surge and Elixir. And then there were the Hellions team, which had Hellion and Rockslide and Dust and Mercury, I think. They were, like, the... The Corsairs was like Cyclops' team But I don't remember anybody on it Loa, maybe? I don't know But it was like each of the ex-mentors Had like their little squad Which I think is another thing People would uh, compare to Harry Potter uh, Does that like the uh, The snake Slither, slither? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I've never read or watched Harry Potter But uh, I know that there are different patches So I'm assuming that they're different squads But uh I feel like since that era kind of wound down, um, they really haven't gotten all that much play. And I think they there were a lot of fodder for, uh, for losing powers after M-Day. Um, they were also fodder for just the pile of bodies here. Um, it's, it's mentioned in this issue here that they compare their era with uh, that of a snuff film. And uh, if, you, if you remember, pre-New 52... The uh, Teen Titans book, the uh, the one that launched in two thousand three with uh, Jeff Johns, started off spectacularly strong. Really made uh, the Teen Titans uh, like an A list group. Well, Jeff Johns moved on, and then all of a sudden we had writers who were basically trying to outdo the the one that came before them in murdering, dismembering, and just destroying Teen Titans. Here, there was actually a cover of an issue of Teen Titans. It was volume three. It was just a casket with the, with the Titans logo on it. It's like, guess who dies now? It's like, what? <laughs> their whole, their, they were there to die. And the Academy X kids were kind of that for the X-Men. They just kept dying and dying and dying. So I'm thinking the snuff film comment might be a commentary on that run here. But uh, we know they're all back. Uh, Emma and Danny did talk about how they're all back Except for poor Rockslide Who, uh, who uh, he's back, but not back, you know uh, The Dak and Dakin-Aurora romance I'm digging it, I'm digging it I, I think uh, they they are fun together And we don't see much of it together But they just feel like they could be a fun fun little coupling um, Even though we've got, you know, Dak and Dakin doing his etchings <laughs> I mean that's just silliness. But uh I think this could be an interesting an interesting development in the book here and uh I look forward to seeing more of it. Now, with keeping with Emma Frost here, uh we get the talk that, you know, her heart grew two sizes uh, every time she <laughs> loses a student or something. Come on, really? I don't know. It felt like a very um Kind of a contrived scene Just to let us know that, you know, Emma feels bad And, uh, oh, now she's over it And they're gonna go get a drink I don't know Uh, the art Let's talk about the art here The last thing we'll talk about for, uh, the issue here The art is still growing on me Uh, you'll know if you've been listening to this show for a while That when we came into X-Factor number one I was like, what in the hell is this? Was not a fan of it, but I do feel Now that, uh, And maybe it's because we just did the whole, uh, Gwenpool miniseries But, uh I feel like it really suits the uh the stories that we're getting here. Um and even though I've been i I've been making fun of Aurora and her role eyes here, I can't deny that it looks good. It's very fitting for her character and the context of uh the situation. And I mean it's just it just looks good. It really does look good. But uh overall, I'm coming around on this series and I'm very, very happy about that. Uh when we read what was it, X Factor number two, I <laughs> That was a tough one for me, but uh, uh, we've been getting it's been it's been turning around for me, and I've been turning around on it. So uh, really good. If you're not reading X Factor um, and you're not into the Mojo stuff, I'd I'd recommend maybe checking out this uh, this post X of Tens uh, run here to see uh, to see if that's more your speed. If you're not huge into Mojo, but you like the characters, I think you'll I think you'll enjoy this one. Now speaking of which. Let's talk about, this was the final Dawn of X, Wave 2, Number 5. Can we even call them the Dawn of X, Wave 2? I I guess we can, because we'll have to call, like, uh, Sword and uh, Children of the Atom if that ever comes out. We'll have to call that, like, Reign of X, Wave 1, I think. Yeah, we'll worry about that another day. But we got power rankings here, right? Dawn of X, Wave 2, Number 5s. Now, the best book out of the Wave 2, Number 5s was... Well, Hellions, of course It's like my favorite book on the on the stands right now uh, Wonderful issue here This was the first part of the uh, X of Tens crossover Where our team decided to go sword swiping And uh, Sinister got himself talked into going with them And they traded a horse for uh, passage And uh, and a cape, of course uh, But a uh, really, really fun issue Hell of a good time For number two, and it's close I'd give this issue of X-Factor the uh, the second-best Dawn of X-Wave 2, number 5. I had a really good time with it, as is hopefully apparent in my <laughs> discussion today. Third is Cable. Um, that was the uh, Exasword's uh, sword uh, satellite issue, which, eh, you know... And we wrap it up with Wolverine. Because, of course, we do. Um, so, Dawn of X, Wave 2, number Fives, Hellions, X-Factor, Cable, and Wolverine. So, agree, disagree? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to share your power rankings with me as well. Now, let's hop into the mailbag here. We just got one letter today, and it's from Evan. He's talking about ExoSwords Destruction Number 1. So, he is finally out the other end of ExoSwords with the rest of us. He says... When I saw jeans to me my X Men, I thought, man, Chris is gonna love that. <laughs> I agree. It's been used so much in the Docs era that it's lost its effectiveness. Yes, uh, I I believe I commented on that. it's it's so played out. And from time to time, I'll talk about you know those things that writers would they really want to write. You know, if it's an X Men book, they want to write in the to me my X Men. If it's Batman, they want to retell the origin They want to show the pearls bouncing down Crime Alley As, uh, as Joe Chill takes out uh, Thomas and Martha They want to do that And every time you do it, it, it only cheapens it, I feel um, and, and I don't want to talk about like whether or not something is earned Because I mean these are just silly things here that only I worry about But I agree that it's lost its effectiveness <laughs> And I'm glad you agree that it's lost its effectiveness uh, Evan continues I thought the escalating armies worked in the issue, but I also agree that the lack of any real casualties undercut the drama in retrospect. And it's true. And I don't know if we were, if we had our expectations set the wrong way, or maybe we filled in the expectations with our own headcanon here, but when we talk about a tournament to the death, to me that sounds like it's going to come down to one. Right It's going to come down to one And there's going to be a lot of death And uh, there really wasn't There really wasn't And uh, I mean the armies are here We have the X-Men coming in We have Jubilee coming in with the Green Priestesses We have the Amenti Demons And nobody's dying You know the demons are going away But I mean how, how, how much can you kill a demon I don't know uh, Evan continues Part of me likes the way they clearly listed each of the 22 parts, but I wonder if this wouldn't have benefited in, from some of the more traditional, looser crossover setup. Maybe even the old Onslaught phase-slash-impact setup, where certain issues were part of the core story, and others were the periphery. And I'm not sure that system worked either. I, You know, I don't know. I don't know. as Because uh, going into this, I think I mentioned... That I wasn't sure whether or not this was going to be like a executioner song type story or a uh, a fall of the mutants type of story where it's just all the all, all the books are branded the same way but they're not they could be read in any order uh, you know per month I suppose I feel like this was a case of Marvel trying to eat their cake and have it too here um, they were going for the they were gunning for the completionist right twenty two parts. You gotta get all of them because they're numbered But, I mean, we had stories that were very much on the periphery We had the two-part Hellion story Which wasn't part of the story, really, at all Outside of, you know, the scheme We had all the gathering of swords stuff Which was very, very fillery And could have been read in Outside of just, like, a few scenes in each issue Could have been written or read in any order Because it didn't matter It's like, okay, well, Wolverine got his sword Does it matter if he got it before Storm got hers? Not really, not really I definitely feel like there was a This was was a completionist sort of a a gotcha Where it's like, well you're not going to buy 18 out of the 22, right? If you're buying 18, you're buying 22 of them And hell, maybe if you're just buying 10 of them You're still going to buy the 22 Because it's just easier to do it that way and, And not miss out on things because, you know i i'd love to uh i i'd love to hear from someone who is just buying one of these books right someone who didn't buy in to the x of 10s um event like i wonder if there's anyone out there who just said i'm i'm just buying marauders or i'm just buying x men you know and reading through those as standalone issues here i mean i i don't know how satisfying that would be or is that just something you get as a completionist for one book and just Wait until it passes and then start reading again. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about someone who would uh, who would just buy X Men and it's like you have issue twelve and then issue fourteen is issue twelve again. <laughs> that's gotta be uh, that's gotta be a toughie. Uh, Evan continues. I'm not going to power-rank the issues, yet anyway, but I would, I would put Hellions number 6, the Dinner Party two-parter, and New Mutants number 13, which was undercut by the later lack of mortal danger to Doug, in the top tier. And that gives me a really good idea here. I think uh, I think we should do a tier list for the Exit 10 story here. And for the most part, I agree. Uh, the Hellion story, that the Dinner Party was great. New Mutants number 13, I wasn't so hot on. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it just felt uh, a little little samey when it comes to, to Doug Ramsey's stories. Uh, Evan wraps up with, my question coming out of this, and it's a good one. Who takes over for Apocalypse in The Crucible? The answer should be they quit doing it because killing someone because their genetic code makes them somehow less is everything is against everything the X-Men are supposed to stand for. But Iska the Unbeaten seems like the perfect successor, no? No. Awesome question and I never even thought of it I never even thought about How the Crucible would continue With Apocalypse gone Now take Discounting Discounting the new Araconians Or Iraqis If Apocalypse was gone I think my first pick to replace him Would have been Gorgon but he's gone too (laughs) Um Maybe Magneto I don't know Um that's uh, that's an awesome Question here and it makes me wonder if Especially after this issue where the crucible did come up in conversation again, will we be seeing it again? And of course, you're right, you're one hundred percent right. the The answer is that they they should quit doing it and they never should have done it in the first place. But uh, I really wonder uh, I really wonder if we're gonna get another issue of the crucible here. I know that we have the uh, the way of X, the nightcrawler crawler uh, focus series here. You gotta imagine, if he's putting together a mutant religion As it as it's rumored to be the, I guess, driving focus of that book I gotta figure we'll be at least hearing a little bit more about The Crucible there Since it was only after seeing The Crucible that Nightcrawler was uh, hit with that uh, that profundity That he would like to start his own religion So I think we got more of it in store and I really can't wait to see it but if we are counting Iraqis or Ari- Ari- um Iska the Unbeaten Is probably the best choice there uh, Kind of takes the uh, Kind of takes all the guesswork out of it Because I think one of the questions that we'd asked uh, Right after we read the Crucible Was what happens if one of these Non-powered mutants actually wins Right? What would happen If someone is able to You know, put Apocalypse on his ass And uh, well with Iska her whole gimmick is that she can't be beat; she always wins. So that kind of takes any sort of ambiguity out of it. So she would definitely be the uh, be the best choice to replace Apocalypse. And now, after saying that, I only hope I kind of hope that they they do that. I kind of hope that they do that. That could be a very interesting uh, little wrinkle there. But I want to thank you so much for uh, for following us all the way through Exit here and sharing your thoughts along the way. It's really really meant a lot to me, and it, I've really enjoyed hearing your thoughts. Uh, While well, I've got you, Evan, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on X-Factor number 1 from back in the long ago here about Cyclops abandoning his family. So if you get a, if you get a free few minutes, give that a look and let us know. I, I'd really like to chat about that with you. But thanks again. Thanks again for writing in. Uh, and if anybody out there would like to write in and give some thoughts and maybe give some power rankings or tier lists, I'd love to see them and share them with everybody. You can find me a few different ways. Uh, I'm easy to find on Twitter. I'm at Ace Comics. You can also shoot me an old-fashioned email over to History at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at com. Also, com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and talk talk to your heart's content about whatever you want. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And for all your listening needs, you can pop over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that'll do it for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me on this fine day or night or morning or evening or whenever it is. It really, really means the world to me. And uh, until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.